Well, if you have your Bibles, take your copy of God's Word and open it with me to the Gospel of John. And we're going to begin in a moment in John chapter 1, verse 35. John chapter 1, verse 35. I saw an article a while back titled, Things That Only Americans Do. It was a list of things that we do commonly here in the United States, but the rest of the world thinks that it's just plain weird. For example, we go out to eat and we supersize everything. We put peanut butter on everything. Amen. We have advertisements for everything. We never put the tax in the prices. We put ice in our drinks. I say the more the better. We go into debt for college. We tip just about everybody. We talk to strangers. We insist on measuring things by inches, feet, and yards. These are things that only Americans do. Well, this morning, I want to talk to you about some things that only Jesus will do because these are things that only Jesus can do. The things in that article, the things on that list, those things aren't very important. But the things we're going to talk about today, the things that Jesus can do, they are very important. These things are supremely important. They are eternally important. And many people will spend their lives looking for someone or something else to do these things only to be greatly disappointed. We've been studying the Gospel of John, and we're coming to the final section of the first chapter of John's Gospel. And in this passage, we read about the stories of five men who came to know Jesus. This morning, we're going to look at the first three of those men. They are Andrew, Simon Peter, and we're pretty sure that the third is John, not John the Baptist, but the Apostle John who actually wrote this gospel. God used these three men and others just like them to change the history of the world. But it all started with a personal encounter with Jesus, which we are going to look at in this passage this morning. So through the testimonies, through the conversions of these three men, I want you to see some things that only Jesus can do. First of all, only Jesus can meet our greatest need. Only Jesus can meet what is the greatest need in our lives. Look at verse 35. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples And looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. Notice it says again the next day. Once again, everything we're going to study today happened the day after everything we studied last week. 
And once again, John the Baptist saw Jesus and he proclaimed, behold, the Lamb of God. Now, if that sounds familiar, that's because that's the exact same sermon that he preached the day before. I can't get away with preaching the same sermon two Sundays in a row. John the Baptist preached the same sermon two days in a row. And you know why he preached that sermon again? Because they needed to hear it again. You know how we know that? We know that because they were still following John and not Jesus. Well, I talked last week about the significance of that statement that John made, behold the Lamb of God, and all of the things that would have immediately come into their minds when they heard that, how they would have immediately thought about that promise God made back in Genesis 22, God himself will provide the Lamb. They would have thought about that question that Isaac asked his father, Daddy, where is the Lamb? That became the question, the theme of the Old Testament they would have immediately thought about the Passover and how the people were saved from God's judgment through the sacrifice of a lamb. They would have thought about the Messiah who Isaiah said would come one day to save us and he would be like a lamb led to the slaughter. All of this was wrapped up in that declaration that John made, behold, the lamb of God. And notice what happened this time when these two men heard Jesus or heard John preach that sermon. In verse 37, it says, The two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. I love the way John words this. They heard him, meaning they heard John the Baptist, but they followed not John, they followed Jesus. Can you imagine how hard it is? would have been for someone like John the Baptist to have all of this attention, to have all of these followers, to have all of this fame, and then just immediately hand it all over to somebody else so that that other person gets the glory. You think that would have been easy? I think it was extremely hard. But that's exactly what John did because the goal of John's life was the increase of Jesus' fame. Thus they heard John, but followed not John, but Jesus. And let me also tell you, if this morning you hear me and follow me, I have failed. But if you hear me and follow Jesus, that is success. John urged his followers to leave him and follow Jesus. And he did that because only Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Sin is the greatest problem that we have because sin is what separates us from God. And because sin is the greatest problem we have, that means the greatest need we have is the removal of sin. Thus, the greatest need we have is forgiveness. I like what someone once said years ago, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness, so God sent us a Savior. Amen. He sent Jesus. He sent the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the Son of God who could by his perfect life 
and by his death upon the cross save us. That is why only Jesus can meet our greatest need. Something else that only Jesus can do, only Jesus can meet our greatest need, only Jesus can satisfy our deepest longings. Only Jesus can satisfy our deepest longings. Look at verse 38. Then Jesus turned and seeing them following, said to them, what do you seek? Let me pause right there. When Jesus saw that these two men were following him, and I mean following him quite literally, they were going wherever he went. The Bible says he turned to them and he asked them a question. And I believe this question that Jesus asked really is the most fundamental question in all of life. What do you seek? Jesus didn't ask that question because he wanted to know the answer. Jesus was challenging them to ask themselves that question so that they would know the answer. What do you seek? What is your life really about? What is it you are really looking for? You think about all the different answers that people would give to that question. Some people, if they're really honest, what do you seek? They're just seeking pleasure. And then there are those whom if you ask them, what do you seek? They seek power. Some seek money. Some seek fame. The problem is if you seek any of these things, you're going to be deeply disappointed because even if you achieve them, it leaves you empty. If you have pleasure, it's temporary. If you have power, someone will take it away. If you have money, it will disappear. If you have good health, praise the Lord, but eventually you will age and die. If you have popularity and fame, enjoy it while it lasts, but one day even you will be forgotten. And yet the world around us, these are the things that they seek in place of God. There's a pastor by the name of Philip Holmes, and I love the statement that he made about this verse. He said, our hearts are black holes of discontentment, devouring relationships and possessions, all while screaming, I want more. We're always eating, but famished always drinking, but never satisfied. Doesn't that really sum up the world around us? There's only one thing that we can seek that will truly satisfy the deepest longings of the heart, and that is to know the God who created us, to know the God who loves us, and to know the God who gave his only begotten son to die for us. And so Jesus asked them, what do you seek? And they gave a rather interesting answer. Go back to verse 38. They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated teacher, where are you staying? I want to point something out to you that you're going to notice many times in our study of the gospel of John. You're going to notice that John wrote this particular gospel not for a Jewish audience, but for a Gentile audience. And you're going to notice that John's target audience knew so little about Judaism, he even had to tell them what the word rabbi means. 
So he tells them, they called Jesus rabbi. They called him teacher. Before the day is over, they're going to find out he's a whole lot more than that. But why did they answer Jesus' question this way? Why did they answer his question with a question, with that question? Where do you dwell? Where are you staying? Well, here's what I think. I think if you really want to get to know somebody, if you really want to get to know them, where do you go? You go home with them. You spend time with them and their home when they're kicked back, when they're relaxed, when they take off the shoes, when they sit back in the recliner or where they're dining at the, the table at night. You spend time with them in their home. That's where you're really going to get to know them. I believe they asked Jesus, where are you staying? Because they just want to be with him and they just want to be with him because they just want to know him. And God will never despise. God will never turn away that man or woman who longs to know him. So here is Jesus' reply in verse 39. He said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. I notice this next detail. Now it was about the 10th hour. Jesus said, come and see. One of the most beautiful invitations that we find in all of the word of God. Come and see was an invitation, but come and see was also a promise. This is Jesus promising them, if you come to me, you will find that satisfaction you have been longing for. And it didn't take them long to find out Jesus is a man of his word. Verse 39 says they remained with him that day day. They spent the day with Jesus. Now, what happened during that day? I don't know. Oh, how I wish scripture told us, how I wish we knew what happened, how I wish we knew what they talked about, what Jesus said to them. We'll have to wait until heaven to find that out. The Bible does not tell us. The only thing we know about that day that they spent hanging out with Jesus is that whatever happened that day with Jesus changed their lives forever. And I mentioned that little detail at the end of verse 39, the very fact that we are told the time when they met Jesus. Now, notice in the New King James Version, it says the 10th hour, which is exactly what it says in the Greek manuscripts. Now, the Jews had their way of counting the hours, now, if you were counting the hours the way they did, that would have been 4 p.m. in the afternoon, which is why some of you uh, in your maybe newer translations, it says it was 4 p.m. Again, let me remind you of what I just said. John was not writing this for a Jewish audience. He was writing this for a Gentile audience. And they counted the hours the same way we do. So the 10th hour meant it was 10 in the morning which makes sense seeing that John follows, saying that they spent that day with Jesus. Well, you're probably wondering, okay, pastor, why does that matter? Why is it significant, the time that they met Jesus? Well, it matters because the Bible tells us, but I believe there is also here one of many hints that we're going to find in the Gospel of John that... This person knew what time it was because he was there. That this is 
John, the author of this book, he was one of these two men who left John to follow Jesus. And listen, that experience that John the Apostle had with Jesus on that day, it was so incredible. It was so intimate. It was so life-changing. He never forgot the time. It's like for the rest of John's life, he could look back and say, I'll always remember, I met Jesus at 10 a.m. Look at verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah. Watch, he's going to do it again. Which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now we're told the name of one of those two disciples. We're told that this was Andrew. And Andrew was so impacted by this day that he spent with Jesus that verse 41 says that he first found his brother Simon. In other words, he met Jesus and he was so changed by this encounter. The very first thing he did was he went out and he looked for his brother so he could tell his brother about Jesus And he said, we have found the Messiah. We have found the Christ. We found the one God promised, the one who came to save us. Now, Andrew, as far as we know there, I mean, there are no uh, recorded sermons of Andrew's in the Bible, so we don't know that he did much preaching. We know he did not write any books of the Bible. But think with me for a moment how Andrew changed the history, not only of the church, how he changed the history of the world just by leading his brother to the Lord. Never underestimate what God can do. Never underestimate how history can change, how the world can change just by you bringing one person to Jesus. Now, Andrew, personally, is my favorite disciple. I sure do hate that a hurricane wound up with his name. That just doesn't seem right. But uh, Andrew, he's always been my favorite disciple. Now, you know why that is? Because every time we see Andrew in the scriptures, he's leading someone to Jesus. In John 1, he leads his brother, Simon, to Jesus. And then a few chapters later, that little boy who shared his lunch, the lunch that Jesus multiplied to feed the 5,000, guess who brought him to Jesus? It was Andrew. Then we go a little further in John chapter 12. There were some Greeks who who wanted to get to know Jesus. Andrew said, here, let me take you. Andrew didn't know much theology at this point. He had way more questions than he had answers. But he knew he had met someone unlike anybody he'd ever met before. And his first reaction was just to go and tell someone. Now, we can all do this. You might not be a Peter. You might not be a Paul, but we can all be like Andrew. Sometimes we talk about uh, the importance of sharing our faith, and we talk about evangelism. Sometimes we talk about it as if it's a burden, as if it's something that is, is so difficult. And, and I can see that at times maybe it is, but I've also noticed you don't have to work hard to persuade people to talk about the things they love. You know what I've noticed? Football fans love to talk about football. 
Music fans love to talk about music. When a person like Andrew has had a personal encounter with Jesus, when they know him, when they love him, guess what they are going to talk about? Jesus. And they're going to talk about Jesus not because they heard a sermon telling them they ought to, not because they have to. They're going to talk about Jesus because nothing could be more natural to them. It is as natural as breathing. John remembered the time. Andrew went to go tell his brother. Both of these men had a life-changing experience with Jesus. And we go back to that question that Jesus asked them in verse 38. What are you seeking? We would all do well to ask ourselves that question. What am I seeking in life? In fact, I wonder if we could ask those people closest to you, how would they answer that question? What do you seek? If your wallet could speak and we could ask your wallet that question, what, did, what would it say? is the answer to that question, what do you seek? If we could ask your schedule or your calendar, the answer to that question, what would it say is the answer, what do you seek? If we could look at your post on social media, what would they say is the answer to that question, what do you seek? You see, we're all seeking something. And whatever the answer is to that question, what do you seek? That probably reveals the, your real spiritual condition. Every heart has its object, and your heart is either seeking Jesus or you're seeking something or someone who is not Jesus. What do you seek? I'll tell you what God seeks, what God desires, is men and women who will seek Him just for who He is. Not for what they can get out of Him, not for what he would give them, but just for the blessing of knowing him. And you know what happens when we come to him with that mindset, with that attitude? Well, Psalm 107.9 tells us, he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. Psalm 37.4 says, delight yourself also in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 16, 11 says, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. All of these promises find their fulfillment in Jesus. Only he can do that. Only Jesus can satisfy our deepest longings. Let me share with you one more thing that only Jesus can do. Only Jesus can can see our highest potential. Only Jesus can see our highest potential. Notice the end of verse 42. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. Well, that's interesting. Jesus sees Simon for the very first time and immediately changes his name? I mean, how would you respond if somebody tried that with you? How would you respond if someone said, Hi, Jerry. Nice to meet you. From now on, your name is Ralph. 
I mean, you might say to such a person, um, excuse me, you just met me and you think that you can change my name? Jesus could change Simon's name because he saw something else that no one else could see. And I want you to notice when it says, when Jesus looked at him. I mentioned this word in the Greek last Sunday. It's a very significant word. It can mean to gaze or to look upon. It means to see more than with just your eyes, to look beyond the outside, to see past the exterior. Everybody else looked at Simon, and what did they see? They saw a rough, tough fisherman. Someone who was uneducated and uncultured and unrefined. Someone who was quick-tempered and hot-headed, uh, uh, quick-tempered, reckless, impulsive. Jesus looked at Simon, and what did he see? He saw his potential. He saw an apostle. He saw the bold preacher at Pentecost when he preached and 3,000 people got saved. He looked at Peter and saw a leader of the early church. He saw a martyr. He saw the man who wrote two books of the Bible. He not only saw Simon, he saw his potential and he saw everything that he would become in the future. So yes, Jesus in that moment gave him a new name. And this is something, by the way, we see numerous times in the Bible where someone has an encounter with God and in that moment, God gives them a new name to describe what they will become. The Sarai was named Sarah. And Abram was named Abraham. And Jacob was named Israel. Revelation chapter 2 says that if you know Christ, one day God is going to give you a new name. So that name you have, don't get too attached to it. In this case, Simon was called Cephas. Now let me just pause and say there was nothing wrong with Simon's name. Simon had a great name. In fact, in the Hebrew, that name Simon, Shimon, you know what it means? It means he who hears. You know where it comes from? The Shema. You know what the Shema is? Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear. O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That is called the Shema. Simon's name came from that. That's a great name. But Jesus said, you are Simon. You will be Cephas or stone. Cephas was the Hebrew version. Petros or Peter, that was the, the Greek version same name, two different languages, but in both languages, that name means the same thing. It means a stone, a rock, a little rock. In other words, Jesus called Simon Rocky. He did. He called him Rocky. Now, Jesus will clarify this even further towards the end of his earthly ministry in Matthew chapter 16 when Jesus said, you are Petros, little rock, but on this Petra, big rock, I will build my church. Now, what was the big rock? 
Well, he just said it. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. The big rock is the gospel of Jesus Christ. But notice this wording in verse 42. He said, you are, you shall be. You are, you shall be. This is what God does with us when we come to Christ. He meets us where we are, and he sees us, and he knows us. The good and the bad, our strengths and our weaknesses, our successes and our failures. He sees and knows our every thought, our every deed. And he says to us, you are, but then he says, you shall be. And then he begins to work in our lives for the rest of our lives to bring us from the former or, or to, to the latter. And let me be real honest with you this morning. Sometimes I have a hard time with this. Sometimes I have a hard time seeing past that first impression. Sometimes I have a hard time seeing past what my eyes see, what I see on the outside. Sometimes when I look at a person, sometimes when I see the addict, I just see addiction. Sometimes when I see the homeless person, I just see poverty. Sometimes when I see the criminal, I just see crime. And one of the things that perhaps we should constantly pray is, Lord, would you help me to see people the way you see people? Not just who they are and what they are, but what they can become in Christ. God, help me to see it. I believe God will answer that prayer. But Jesus when he sees someone, when Jesus looks at a man, when Jesus looks at a woman, when he looks at you, he sees who you are, but he also sees what you will become by the grace of God. Only Jesus can do this. Only Jesus can meet our greatest need and satisfy our deepest longings. Only Jesus can see our highest potential, Jesus and no one else. There's a name some of you may know, but most of you probably will not. A man by the name of Daniel Hale Williams. Dr. Daniel Hale Williams was the very first man in history who performed an open heart surgery. And he did it, get this, in the year 1893. Not only was he the first man to perform open heart surgery, but for a while, for a time until others caught on and learned how to do it, Dr. Williams was the only man performing open-heart surgery. There was a time in the past when if you needed open-heart surgery, you went to Dr. Williams or you went to no one else because only he could do it. Well, Likewise, ladies and gentlemen, there is one Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Amen. One who can forgive us and fill us and transform us. There's one who can make us into a new creation. There's one Son of God, one who lived a sinless, perfect life, one who could die on the cross for your sin and mine, one who was willing to die on the cross for your sin and mine, one who died and rose again, one who is Lord, and one who will save you if you'll call upon Him as Lord today.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus, that you sent Jesus to do what only he could do. Only Jesus, the Son of God, by his perfect life and by his death on the cross, could meet that greatest need in our lives, the need for forgiveness, that our sins would be washed away. No one else could do that for us. And God, we have this vacuum in our hearts. We have this God-sized hole in our hearts, and there's no one else that can fill it. We confess, God, too many times in our lives, we've all been guilty of looking to someone or something else for that fulfillment, for that satisfaction. God, forgive us of that. Maybe some are doing that even right now. But we see that only Jesus can satisfy those deepest longings of the heart, and, and He's the one who can see us as we are, where we are, but also see our potential, our future, who we can become by Your grace. And so, Father, as we come here this morning, we, we pray that You'd help us to take what we've heard and apply this to our lives. Father, if there be but one person here today who does not personally know Jesus, oh God, we plead with You that this would be their day of salvation, just like Andrew and John and Peter had that moment that personal encounter with Jesus where they met him for the very first time. God, how we pray that for someone here, that would be today, that their day would be October 16th, 2022. Father, help us all to take what we've heard today with us and not keep this to ourselves, but just like Andrew who went out and found his brother Simon, that we would find someone who needs to hear. Maybe they know the name Jesus. Maybe they've heard that he died and rose again, but they don't know exactly why that had to happen or what that means or how to know him, how to receive him. So help us to go just like Andrew and find someone who needs to hear. And we thank you and we praise you for all of this in Jesus' name.